Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. So, a little about our sponsors, Ericsson. As we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies for top-line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals, digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks. Check out their site at www.ericsson.com forward slash oil and gas. I will put this in the notes of each one of the episodes. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce for Tomorrow. I'm here with my co-host, Brian Woodward. What's up, Jerry? Hey, Brian. And we wanted to do a little bit of a prelude to a very special conversation we're about to have with the staff of a company called Aredia, which is a startup within NOV, which is a manufacturing company serving the oil and gas industry. And we're very lucky to be here with Ash Menon and with Rachel Lamond, who are the leaders of this firm, and to ask them a couple of questions about the conversation we already had. And it was such an enjoyable conversation and so inspiring that we wanted to just, Brian, I think, try to understand a little bit about how they're making this happen. 100%. Maybe we just start, Ash. Tell us a little bit about how you built your team and what you guys do. How we built the team. I guess it all starts with the why we had to build the team. You know, the history that I was in operations before I came and started this project. And what we realized was during the depth of the downturn in the oil field, I was in charge of an operation in a division of NOV and we were struggling. And what we felt was there's enough waste in the manufacturing process and if we could get our people focused on helping eliminate that waste and everybody focused in that one direction we'd be able to do some amazing things and what came out of that is that during those three years we had amazing results profitability wise our ceo clay asked if we could bottle it and help other businesses do the same thing that's what led to it and we just said it's all about the people, but using the technology to be able to help the people versus just automation for automation's sake, what we said was leverage people and intelligence. So I don't know if that's the answer, but that's kind of the why great. behind I it. it. I think it's a great answer. And Rachel, how did you become part of this? Great question. I was thinking of that when Ash was speaking about the team. So my background is I owned my own business at one time. But as far as technology, I don't have any of that. None of that is my background. But I worked for the company for NOV, and I was in sales and also buying and planning. And then Ash, I knew him, but I never worked for him or with him. But he became a mentor of mine years ago, and then we lost touch a little bit. So one day he told me, hey, I'm working on something, and once I get it started, I'd like for you to sell it for me. Now, I know what Ash does, and I'm like, what the Me? <laughs> and he said, no, you can do this. And so he asked me a few questions, technical questions, that I heard of some of the language, but it wasn't my background. 
He said, don't worry about it. I know what you can do for me. And so the first day I came in, he explained to me and I was like, hey, I think I have an order. He said, do you even know what we do? I'm like, no, but I know it has something to do with CNC machines. I have a meeting. And he's like, slow down, cowboy. <laughs> so I'll let you go. No, no, that's it. And I said, I think the first thing I told her was, hey, have you heard of IoT? And she says, yes. I said, okay, well, so it's going to be around IoT, but it's going to be about the people. And she says, okay, but I thought it was Internet of Things. And yes, we're going to help machine shops really yeah. leverage the people, but we're going to use technology to help the people, you know, and that's what we said. And I remember where I was, I was driving. She called me up and she says, I've got a meeting tomorrow. I'm going to go talk to this company. And I said, Rachel, we've not built it yet. She was like, oh, I thought it was ready. I said, no, it's not. I, I mean, it's still an idea. We're going to do this. I said, no, we're going to build it and it's going to be fantastic. But what we need to do is go talk to the people. And that's what she spent a lot of that time was just talking to the people who make the things we buy and said, let's understand what they struggle with. So the company I was with before, we had forge lines and we made, you know, it's like a big steel company. What we were trying to do was help small machine shops. And if we had to understand what they struggle with, it's probably not the same as what NOV struggles with when you're having a billion dollar operation. So that's how she came mm -hmm. about. Well, what's really striking about that is the women that we were talking to earlier, who are all part of your team, were expressing extreme, let's call it admiration for both of you as leaders. And Rachel, your explanation struck me as a very humble explanation, yet they see you as a really powerful female leader. And I think it just sort of echoes this idea, Ash, that if you can find teammates who are focused on helping each other, and if the mission is to help the people on the floor, and everybody knows that, and you find people aligned to that, then it doesn't matter the background. They're going to contribute. And your team really believes that and are making it true. And you are both making it true through the example that you're setting. So it's super admirable. Like, I'm really impressed with what you've been able to accomplish. And you're doing it by leading by example. We throw out a very often used term of like servant leadership or something like that. But I mean, really the epitome, in my view, based on what your team is describing and what I've seen of, of really inspirational leaders. So you should both be very proud. I just get to take credit for all their hard work. So like, yeah, chief credit manager, that's my real title. Yeah, yeah I don't believe that chief, for a second. Chief credit manager. He's yeah. given himself that title. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what gave you the confidence, Ash, if I could, to say, I want to hire for attitude and train for skill? Because I mean, that's also used a lot as a thing, but you're really doing it. So what gave you the confidence to build a technological AIML, IoT business on the back of hire for attitude, train for skill? Again, I'll go back. I know you guys were laughing when I said chief credit manager, but I've used that so long because I know it's proven itself in every role that I've had. When I was in operations, I did not have any operations background. All of a sudden, I had responsibility for a global company. And what I was able to do is that in three years, I had total trust. And when I say that, I think it had about 1,200 people in China, Abu Dhabi, Veracruz, Mexico, and Houston. I had three staff meetings the entire time I had been there. And all I told them was, I said, guys, let's find the problems and fix it. In that operation, what we did was I had posters everywhere in the plant saying, give us your ideas to improve. And the ideas were restricted to coming straight from the hourly employees. And it was funny because the engineers had to go ahead and work out the math to say how much money it was going to save us. So because we also awarded them with cash awards. 
And I think we gave out about $56,000 or something. I'll give you an example. We had two guys, Glenn Coble and Alvin Coble, who got about $10,000 in one day. Father and son, one work day shift, one work night shift. They came up with ideas to help our company. So the thing was, we just did nothing other than say, help us mm -hmm. because we are struggling. We had gone from about a billion dollars to down to half a billion dollars. And I said, there's no way that anybody sitting here in an office is going to be able to figure this out. It's the guys who are making the product and every idea that came in from there. We calculated the math and said, and my boss, Brett Chandler, we'd walk over there with a big check and take a picture, you know, giving them the money. So, and that's what it was. So all we do when I say we, I mean, Rachel, when she goes out and talks to the people is ask them what we could be doing better for that facility. And all we do is then take that and use all the AI and technology that we can to leverage it. And the example I have is I remember asking a guy, well, the maintenance manager, Larry Ritchie, Joey Epler, and a bunch of other managers. And I said, hey, guys, now pretend that you come into work and you can't type anything. You can't do anything. Your hands are tied behind your back. What's the question you're going to ask? What do you want to know today? And they asked us that. So those are the questions we wrote into an Excel spreadsheet used a bot and said he wants to know about efficiency, how many products he made and what equipment was down or up from the maintenance side. And then we just connected all of those dots to data that's coming in so that, hey, in two minutes, you should get the answer you need. So that's how we connected those dots. And so the technology just was there. We just needed to know what they were struggling with. So again, like I said, that's how we did it. And yeah, that's, that's sort of a, a philosophical approach to solving problems, huh, Brian? Yeah, and I don't want to take too much away from what our listeners are going to hear afterwards when they right. listen to your team. But what I'm hearing you say, Ash, it's really about empowerment and people feeling that they're valuable and that you want to listen as a leader, right? So they can contribute to making an impact. And I will say as a small spoiler alert, that came out loud and clear from the team that's working now with the operations folks on the front. And I think we forget that sometimes, right? As we get too experienced in our careers, we think that you can't get wisdom and nuggets of value from folks with less experience or maybe folks who do a different type of job. But that's always, I think, a big miss, right? Absolutely. One thing I like to say, I think it's really simple for me when I interview anyone. It's so simple. I listen to them. So it isn't just a resume. I want to sit and talk and meet with them. And it's always one thing I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Do you care? Do you care about someone else? And when I hear those things, I hear their stories from these people out here. It's like they will do anything because they're heard and they're valued. What they tell us and certain things in their lives it's so easy. It's so easy to pick for this team because they really care. And I'm like, Ash, they will do anything for us because they know we care. They know we listen to them. And we also know they have a life outside of here. So if we can work with them as far as certain things they deal with that in their home life to make them feel like, you know what? I don't go to work every day just to punch a clock. These people really care about me. And it blows me away that they've worked with companies and managers that did not care. And I remember just a personal note, I never thought I'd be in this position, but I've been managed by people. And I always would tell myself, gosh, if I was a manager, I would do this, this, and this with this person that's given their lives and their time for me. You know, of course, it's a big company, but I take it very, very serious how they feel when they go home. Extremely, almost responsible. And so what we get out of them is they just don't know. It's great for us. It's not just, oh, I'm here working for Rachel and Ash. I'll do anything for them. 
anything to help them their lives better and for them to have a voice. Even for you guys to come here and ask for us, we wanted our team to be able to speak because they were so excited. Like, really? I'm like, yes, you're our team. You're the face of this. Yeah, no, that's powerful. And, you know, for audience, which are looking for the energy workforce for tomorrow, we're trying to figure out how to manage it or how to grow it or find it or attract it or retain it, motivate it. I think there's a lot to learn for folks who are out there trying to figure out how to solve talent problems. Just listening to the two of you and to your team in a few short minutes here, talk about what it really means and what's important. Absolutely. I think listeners are going to love the whole session. And I think the concept of caring mm. comes loud and clear from both yeah. of you guys and from your team. Yeah. If you're out there looking for a new role or you're looking to try to figure out how to be a leader, listen to the folks you're going to hear from today because it's an incredibly inspiring story. Yeah, 100%. It's amazing. It grows. Even when, you know, what we have to do, and I'll just say this quickly, is we have to take that. We have to be very careful because we're taking that same advice and encouragement to the shop floor to an operator who's actually making product for us so we go and we listen to them we tell them the importance of why they're here and what we've created to help their voice this is the best job i've ever had yeah well you're ageist huh yeah your team says the same thing we try to tell them go find another job no we want to be here it's amazing it's amazing and and, you know just one thing on the caring thing you're talking about that's one thing that we keep repeating to everyone on the team is i really don't care how much you know i just want to know that you care take care of the knowledge part all of them were in a class yesterday and Lacey's like i didn't know i was going to be a developer it's like that's okay what if you find it in that one meeting that that's what i want to be i said that's okay (laughs) two days go learn something you know come back so but no no that knowing and the caring is caring is the most important thing Uh, wow really inspirational thank you both so much for sharing your team with us for as long as you did and yourselves and your story and the experience and i'd love to have you back on the podcast as well as your team we made the offer to them as well we'd like to dig into a couple more specifics we just didn't have enough time but so many things to cover and you know we're really grateful brian i you know no, i think you said it great jerry and just thank you very much for spending the afternoon with us thank you guys thank you very thank much you. yeah thank you and listeners i can't wait for you to hear the next part of the podcast so i hope you enjoy it and let us know as always what we can do to improve hello and welcome to another episode of energy workforce for tomorrow sponsored by ericsson Brian, today we have a really special podcast. In fact, we just had some questions from listeners on our holiday podcast where a number of listeners were looking for more diversity in our guest lineup. And today we're very fortunate. We've got four women who are employed in the energy workforce today with us from Oredia, which is a startup within NOV and uh, really excited about it, Brian. Hey, Jerry. Awesome. Hello. And we're on location, which is awesome, right? I think this is my uh, first on location podcast. I know not yours, Jerry, but yeah, I'm super excited about the guests we have today. And as you said, we got a question to hear really from who are really the workforce of tomorrow in the energy business. And we have it today. So it's going to be a fantastic show. And thank you guys for all of our guests being with us today. Yeah, absolutely agree. And really excited to meet all of you. So let's go around and do just a quick round of introductions. So uh, Lauren, we'll start with you. Thank you guys for having us. I'm Lauren, and I'm a data scientist here at Aredia. I'm Tyler, and I am the business analyst for Aredia. I'm Ellie, and I'm a customer relations specialist, and I'm also an intern at Aredia. I'm Lacey, and I'm the project coordinator for Aredia. Excellent. Well, I've got so many questions. I scarcely know where to begin, but I want to start with you. I'm going to put you on the spot over there, Ellie, as the intern. One, 
this is a startup within an oil and gas manufacturing company. Doesn't probably have the biggest name in the business. How did you find out about it? Well, first of all, where are you going to school right now? Because you're an intern. And how did you find out about this program? All right. Well, I'm currently going to school at UHD, University of Houston, downtown. And it's really funny how I got this job. My boss, Rachel Lamond, I was working at a coffee shop at C. Baldwin, and she comes up to me and says, I really like how you work. Why don't you send me your resume? And I said, oh, all right. Did you say your boss at your coffee shop? No, my current boss here oh, at Aradia. boss here? Yes. So it was a customer? Yes, it was a customer. She was staying at our hotel, and she liked the way I interacted with the customers and my old boss at the coffee shop, he had come up and she liked the way I interacted with him. We talked for a little bit and she said, I really like you. I would like you to send me your resume and hop on board. And that's what happened. Wow. That's an awesome story. First of all, go Cougs, right? Another U of H grad here in the room. That's awesome. I tell my daughters that all the time that you never know who's watching, right? And I spend a good chunk of my college career in customer service. And I still use those customer service skills in my job 25 years later. So what an awesome story. Yeah, you know, we're all focused on the customer. At IBM, where we work, the customer is our lifeline as a consulting firm. Without customers, we have nothing. And I think, Ellie, you can proudly claim to all your friends that you were, quote unquote, discovered. And I think that tends to be a dream for a lot of people to be discovered. And you were discovered just in your day-to-day job by someone who was looking for talent. And I think it's cool that the approach of Aredia is to maybe just be on the lookout for folks that kind of fit culturally, I suppose. Absolutely. I always say be kind to people because you never know who you're going to meet and you never know the effects that will have and where that will take you in life. Yeah. And how's it going so far? I think it's very wise words, by the way, but how's it going for you so far here as an intern? So far, it's going really well. I'm learning the day in, day out kind of thing. And everybody here is very great. They're very nice. And I feel very welcomed here. And I'm just really excited. It's definitely something new. I've never worked in an office setting before. However, it's very wonderful. Are you here in the office every day? Almost every day. I try to be here, but we are allowed to work from home from time to time. So when I'm required to be here, I'll be here. And when they say, go work from home, I'm at home with my cats. (laughs) That's awesome. Very good. So what do you do day to day as a customer service rep? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I'm still training. However, at the moment, we have an Aradia customer portal that I am learning the ins and outs of because I will be training operators and other people how to use this portal. So currently, I have just been reviewing the portal and going to Tyler with all my questions because she is a genius with this stuff. So... It's been great so far. So taking a step back then, Tyler, what does Aredia do? Because we didn't necessarily cover that. We set a startup with an NOV, which is a manufacturing firm that services oil and gas. But can you give us more insight as to what Aredia does? Yeah. So with Aredia, we're basically just trying to capture at a high level, like what is in the way or causes an operator at a CNC machine to have to stop their job, stop production, basically trying to capture those inefficiencies and also foster an environment of transparency on the shop floor. And can you help us with what CNC machine means? Yeah. (laughs) So basically computer numerical control machine, but again, I'm probably not the best person to ask, but they're basically running programs on these machines to either cut 
pieces of metal or whatever they're doing to make a product for the mm -hmm. customer. Yeah, and we'll get more into the manufacturing processes that you work on maybe a bit later. But I'm really curious, Brian, in the pre-meet, didn't we learn that uh, Tyler had kind of a special background to be kind of working as a business analyst and maybe an expert around the development environment? Brian, what was that? Yeah, so we were doing a little pre-discussion about everybody's backgrounds and found out that Tyler has a unique background, right? Graduated with a forensic anthropology background, right? So tell us a little bit about that background and sort of how it applies to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. It's really interesting. As far as applies, I kind of have yet to figure that part out. Um, <laughs> I just have kind of always been interested in people. I like to study them, not so much interact. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just kind of, the cool thing about anthropology is it's a pretty well-rounded degree. So I did a field school in Belize on Mayan archaeology. I did some cultural anthropology programs for, you know, some indigenous tribes in the United States and natural resource management. And how long has it been since you've been out of college? If you don't mind my asking. 2019 was what, three years ago, four years ago. Okay. So. so we haven't even touched this one yet, but I mean, all of you are probably relatively impacted by the pandemic and what changes it's caused. But that aside, can you comment a little bit, Tyler, on what, although maybe your like forensic anthropology itself doesn't necessarily apply to what you do day to day, what skills did you learn through the college process that maybe helped with how you're doing your job today? And I think Brian had a follow-up on that. I was going to say, maybe before you answer that, somebody told us before the podcast that you know everything about everyone and everything, right? That's true. Yeah. You were cited as the yeah. expert. Of everything. So what are the skills you think that you learned throughout your life and or college that kind of give you this capacity, let's say, to take on the role that you have that isn't necessarily related to your quote unquote degree? I think with my degree, it's just asking questions. I did not learn how to use Excel in college. I mean, I don't think I had touched Excel before I came to like, I mean, even the basics didn't really pick up for this job. And just I think in life in general, it's just work harder than everybody else and that'll get you somewhere. So that's what I try to do. Awesome. Ask questions and work hard. Those are two solid Be curious, right? traits for anyone. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we have someone over here to my right in the room that we're sitting that has done, uh, you've got quite a diverse background, Lacey. Can you tell us a bit about your background and what you're doing now and how you came to work here at Aredia? So I'm kind of, I guess you, what you would say is like a Jill of all trades. I've done a lot of different jobs. My main trade was welding, but I've also done like rock climbing instructing. I was a shoe cobbler for a while. Shoe cobbler. Mm. Wow. Uh, only for rock climbing shoes. So that's kind of okay. a weird market niche, but bartended, of course, weighted tables. I was a party clown for a while. I've done a lot of stuff, but the main trade again was kind of welding, which is what I leaned on. And I truly enjoyed. And as far as like getting here, I was actually applying for jobs, like a welding job. Mm -hmm. And then my resume just happened to pass through, you know, our boss's hands. And he was supposed to like pass it along, you know, to the people that I was applying for. And he just kind of like halted on that and said, well, I want to talk to her. And, you know, after we had talked, he had kind of asked me, he was like, hey, you know, like this is what we're doing. Explained it to me. And with my background in manufacturing, I was so happy to hear what they were doing for the blue collar people. And it just kind of felt like they're bridging that gap between blue collar and office workers and really giving them a voice and making sure that, like Tyler said, there's transparency because it's really important because within manufacturing, it's like a domino effect. If one thing goes wrong, everything else behind it goes wrong. And then it creates 
a whole slew of other problems, mm. right? And are you saying that there was some element then of unfairness that was being attributed to blue-collar workers when something didn't go right in the manufacturing line? Well, I think that as a blue-collar worker, a lot of the times that you're blamed for deadlines not being met because we're the easy ones to just kind of point the finger at, mm-hmm. you know, like they're not working hard enough. When a lot of the times the blue-collar people are working, you know, seven, 12-hour shifts yeah. and really breaking their back, missing out the time with their families Mm -hmm. and all of the things that, you know, they don't have a life other than work and go to sleep. And it's not necessarily to point all of the blame at the people in the office, but it's just that there's so many other aspects that go into, you know, making sure that a project goes from start to finish that, like I said, one small misstep, like within the fabrication packet or the bidding process or freight, anything that goes wrong, it kind of just messes the whole thing up. But for a lot of people, it's easy to just point the finger at the people who are actually physically building the stuff. Wow. That's amazing. What do you think Ash saw in your resume that had him stop and say, I want to talk to you? Initially, I had no idea (laughs) because for me personally, you know, especially when I started meeting everybody and I started hearing all their degrees, I was like, I don't belong here. You know, I had a serious case of imposter syndrome. I really was, you know, I mean, Tyler, forensic anthropologist, we've got engineers that we work with. It was just kind of like, what am I doing here? (laughs) Because, you know, I'm like, I can read a tape measure and I can fabricate things and I work well with my hands. I'm not really like a computer person, like kind of like Tyler. I don't know how to use Excel before I came on to here. But I think the main thing that he saw was that I had a willingness to learn and work really hard. And what do you have to say, Lacey, to any other women or men or people who are out there who are afraid that they're not qualified, but they want to try? Like, what do you have to say to them? I think the best thing to say is, I mean, the worst they could say is no. Don't be afraid of rejection because you can get rejected time and time again. But as long as you keep trying, eventually, statistically, it's going to happen. <laughs> you know. Wow. What a great story. I mean, it's going to sound totally cheesy, but chills with Absolutely. stories like that because we hear all the time about folks can't find jobs and they're not treated fairly and who's standing up for the little guy. And there's so much of that that's being... I don't know, addressed here. And it's really, I think, motivating to hear about it. You're right, Jerry. And I think also that it's a lesson to all of us, no matter where you are sort of in your career, your journey in life, that you have so much more to offer than maybe you even self-realize, right? You know, when you were talking about sort of the friction between, say, the corporate office, maybe in the shop floor, I think that's a reality that most companies deal with. And Jerry and I's job being in sort of process and business transformation That's always really one of the big struggles that happens is, you know, can you design a process in a project environment that's actually going to have a real business impact and real value to the folks that make it happen every single day, right? And so, Lazy, when you were telling us that story, I thought, well, I mean, what you offer is you understand the physical environment, right? And to combine your skill set maybe with somebody who has a theoretical skill set or an alternate angle, then that's exponential creativity and exponential value to the organization. But I think the real inspiration is that sometimes our limitations are sort of self-inflicted, right? You said imposter disease. Mm. I know I felt like that in my career many Mm. times, right? I've taken a lot of different roles over the last 25 years. And I would say every time I took a new role, probably the first three, four or five months, I was like, what am I doing here? Mm. What did I do to myself? Am Mm. I ever going to master this? But that's kind of the fun of it as well, right? Yeah. So Lauren, last but not least at all, data scientist, where'd you come from? How'd you hear about this role and what are you doing? Now I'm intimidated, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in Magnolia, Texas. My background is similar to Lacey's. 
in a sense. It's mixed. I started out waiting tables and then bartending. And then from bartending, I was the GM of a bar on the east side in Austin, Texas. And I didn't go to college straight out of high school. Well, that's actually not entirely true. I went to the University of St. Thomas in downtown Houston in the museum district for a year. And when I got there, I realized there's this entire world of not only careers, but what your life looks like from like sunrise to sunset out there that I'd just never been exposed to in Magnolia. And Magnolia is a beautiful, amazing place. It's just the people that I was around, I just didn't have any exposure to that. So I had this very real dooming almost sensation of like, I have no idea what I want to do. So I went to Austin and I started bartending and it was probably the best thing for me because it exposed me to a lot of different people. And I was able to kind of like ask myself these questions of, do I want to do what that person does? Or they seem really happy. I wonder what they do. And then I went back to school at 24 and studied math and physics at U of H, University of Houston, and then ended up here through a friend, Luis. And from the career switch from like bartending to going back to school, like the real kind of determining factor for that was, okay, I have a little bit of life experience. I'm in a financial state where I can ask myself like, okay, now what? And then I realized that I could stay in that career path, bartending, managing, you meet a lot of great people doing stuff like that. And I love it. I look back on it fondly. But I think for the person that I am, I would have never really felt fulfilled doing that. So then when I went back to school, I was like, okay, what do I think I'm going to like? So I immediately took physics classes <laughs> and I loved it. Oh my God. Physics, yeah. I loved it so much. And so I think I felt pulled to work and be with the Aurelia team because of their purpose. It's very fulfilling to be here because the goal and the intention of this team is to really make a difference in the people who are on the ground who kind of get overlooked in like the day to day. It's not insignificant, the people and what they do. Yeah. And I think it's the best part of being here. Well, that's incredible. The fact that all of you have echoed that it's sort of about the people who are on the floor. There's an altruism there that I think is really admirable. There's also, though, some optimization and improvement of the process as well, which probably helps justify all the investments that are being made, right? I think Ash, who we'll hear from, I think we'll do a pre-intro with Ash, we'll talk about this program and all of that, but he was telling me that this program that you all are running has saved the company millions of dollars, or let's say improved profit millions of dollars, which in turn, obviously, probably quite rewarding for those folks on the floor. And then, of course, for the business itself you know, as a publicly traded entity, it means a lot to improve profit. Not only are you contributing to the well-being of those workers, but you're also helping driving better profit for the mothership, which probably at some level is fulfilling as well. Do any of you have visibility to that side of it and kind of the benefits that you're bringing into the business? As far as like me and my background in manufacturing, the benefits that I see is kind of like you said, optimization of the process. Because, you know, I've worked in some pretty ragtag manufacturing shops. And like when you don't have a process down, it makes the job 10 times harder. And to be able to like one of the best things that I like to explain to like the operators when I go and talk to them is like, hey, I'm here to make your job easier. What do you need? 
And if you use our system religiously almost, then we are able to go up to bat for you and explain to your or your managers are able to say, hey, these are the things we need and here's the numbers to back it up. And I think that, like you said, optimizes the process and just makes it much smoother so that maybe one of those dominoes doesn't fall. <laughs> so Lacey, you're getting into actually a follow-up question I had based on your description. Tell us a little bit about how you guys discover the opportunity and sort of formulate projects around that, right? Can you tell us a little bit about the life cycle? I think sometimes the opportunity doesn't necessarily present itself as an opportunity, but more so as like, this is a big problem. We really can't ignore this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Does anybody have any insight on what we can do about this? And that's kind of the birth of where we start projects and then where they end. Sometimes we don't have an idea what the path is going to look like from start to finish. And sometimes that project branches out into multiple different things. I think Tyler has seen the life cycle of many different projects. She's been here longer than I have, Lacey as well. But from what I've seen and worked on projects, projects wise, it's kind of like there's something over here that's burning. I think we need to turn around and look at it. Yeah, I think the biggest word, of course, that you hear in manufacturing is bottleneck. Where's your bottleneck? Yeah. And that's kind of how we start with these facilities is, hey, where are you having problems? You know, as you're like, we'll talk to the managers. And a lot of the times we talk to the operators, too, because they're the people that know the best. They're there every day in and out and they see it happen. And especially if they've been there for a long time, they can see it coming down the pipeline and they can before even something hits their footsteps. It's basically, oh, this is going to be an issue unless we solve it right now. And so that's kind of usually where we start. It's like, hey, where's your bottleneck and how do we help you? Yes, exactly. It's like the bottleneck. It always, for any company, whatever you're doing, it almost always comes down to optimization. Where's the weak point? What's the limitation here? It's not always a quote unquote problem, but it's like, how can we make this a little better? And then you see it in the numbers later. And then in a perfect scenario, a happy scenario, you would see it in quality of life of employees or day-to-day flow, things like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Brian, how many times have we done business cases or work with our teams to do business cases where improving the quality of life of the front end workers was a benefit that was realized? I can think of almost none. And maybe we're missing something, Brian. I was going to say, I mean, we spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about engagement, employee engagement, and really providing support for the workforce, right? And It's very easy, I think, to look at projects only purely from a dollar and cents perspective. And certainly that's what drives publicly traded companies. But you always seem to get more productivity when you make the life of the front end worker more fulfilling or easier. And that drives engagement and satisfaction and retention. So I think that is the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. Mm. And Tyler, just shift gears slightly. First of all, this has been really fascinating so far. And thanks again to all of you for spending time with us. But Tyler, being here maybe the longest or maybe you and Lacey both, but what's the culture like here and how is it bringing in so many different kinds of folks with different kinds of backgrounds and how do you all like gel together and work together? Rachel calls us the like ragamuffin group. <laughs> ragamuffin group. <laughs> it's a very technical term, by the way. It's defined in many of the uh, socioeconomic. Studies. I think I was like the fourth person that kind of came onto the team. And it's been really cool because I've gotten to see all of these ladies come onto the team. It has always been like, I think what you were saying earlier is like more looking for someone that fits the bill. And then our culture, I think very much has just been like, who's the person that cares the most? And I don't care what your background is. The only thing I care about is like, are you going to put the effort in? And I think every single one of these ladies has come in and just like hit the ground running. 
and just been so eager to, like Lacey said, I think Lacey plays a really important role in our team of being the person who kind of has that insight of what the operator's thinking. But every single person just kind of comes in and immediately is like, how can we help? There's a TV show I like to watch called New Amsterdam and the main character, he always says, how can I help? And I think that's kind of the culture of our team is what can we do to make it better? Yeah. So I was going to kind of tag on to what Tyler said. And this is probably for me being a part of already has been one of the healthiest and most fulfilling work cultures that I've ever been a part of. There's just so much support and not just like support as in like, how can we help you? But it's also, you know, they challenge us on a regular basis Mm -hmm. because they truly want to see us reach our potential. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times, you know, because being a welder, I love welding, but I've got a welding machine at home. So I'll get that fixed elsewhere. (laughs) I'm writing that down. (laughs) I I need some help. Yeah, Lacey, I'm going to bring them to your house. But it's almost on a, like at least once a month, both Ash and Rachel will be like, hey, are you sure? And they have introduced me to like lead welders within the company too and been like, okay, you can't have her. But then they turn to me and then I'll say, but if you really want to go. And it's very warming. And it's like, why would I go anywhere? (laughs) And how are you feeling right now, Ellie? Are you feeling like super excited and you want to stay? Maybe I'm putting you on the spot there with that question, but can you tell us how it's been for you as an intern? Absolutely. It's so far, it's been absolutely wonderful. It's been truly fantastic. Everything that Lacey and Tyler and Lauren were saying, absolutely true. I mean, the environment is extremely supportive. This has been the healthiest work environment I've ever been in, I would say. For example, last week I had a terrible migraine and I told Tyler I had a really bad migraine. She said, it's okay. Go home. Work from home. You'll be okay. And I was internally freaking out because any other job, if you get sick, they get mad or they'll punish you by taking your hours away. There's a lot more consequences. But here it was like, we understand you're human. And I think that's one of the most important things. And I feel that a lot of workplaces miss that that they treat humans as machines, as ways to make profits, numbers, but not human beings with needs. And so that's what I really appreciate about being here. It's been great so far. That's awesome. I sometimes feel like a machine, right? But (laughs) I feel like a coin machine with my daughter sometimes, right? But I think that's an incredible feeling to have that sort of trust and support of your coworkers. And it sounds like you guys are very fluid and very agile. So I think there's something that I wanted to kind of highlight about this is it's not just I think that we have outsourced and found and discovered like individual like fantastic people, which I mean, we've definitely done that, Tyler. But something that I think is interesting about this team that I've noticed is it's not that it's the team is built from fantastic people. I think that it definitely a lot of this mentality about the people and like the work ethic support that we have here, it almost kind of flows fluidly from the top just as much as it does from the bottom up, meaning like us. Because consistently, I will hear from Ash and Rachel, kind of like the people that oversee us and everything that's going on, this reminder of like, you can't forget why we started this. What are we actually doing here? Yes, we're working on that project, but what is the project for it's always for kind of like what Lacey touched on at the beginning is like the operators out there and everything that they're doing. So it's when kind of like you live in a state of my life is not about me, you are more focused on your team mentality. And I think somehow whenever you like become an adult and get a job, you really like lose that group. Let's do this together. 
Yeah, it reminds me a lot of there's a notion of the mission-driven squad. And one of the principles and agile ways of working would be to arm all of your employees, all of your teams with the mission so that you're all keeping in mind what it is you're trying to achieve, not just in what you're doing day to day, but in every decision that you make. So that in a time of maybe ambiguity, if you center on like, well, I'm going to do it because this mission says that's the right thing to do and I'm going to make that decision, you can never be wrong. I mean, maybe it wasn't optimal decision, but it'd be the right direction. And I think that's a really powerful way to run a business. And it sounds like all of you embrace that naturally. Yeah, Lacey. I think one of the biggest things that's been kind of refreshing for this team overall, and this goes across everybody within our team, is accountability, which is lost a lot of times in workplaces. Sometimes there's not a whole lot of accountability and more of just kind of finger pointing and blaming and just kind of like sweeping things under the rug. But even from our bosses like Ash and Rachel, like they take full accountability for everything. And sometimes they take accountability for things that maybe they shouldn't be taking accountability for. But because they're in that leadership role, they take the accountability anyways, because that's their role as a leader. That's a great example. I mean, Jerry, what I'm hearing is that it's really about culture and passion and leadership, right? And it's not just leadership from above, but it's also leading from the front line as well. And I think it's a really great maybe message or cue out there for, you know, people who are starting their career or changing their career, pick people to work for that you respect, right? Pick mm-hmm. people to work for with that you're passionate about. I mean, and I can say, you know, and Jerry, I know will concur. We have probably one of the greatest leaders that I've ever worked for as part of, and that's what really makes it fun to get up yeah. and go to work every day. When you create that environment, you know, I think what you guys all said is really interesting. None of you have a real deep background in process improvement and manufacturing, right? But you have a culture, a passion, a real commitment to try to help drive results. And I think you can do anything when you yeah. have that mentality. Yeah. And I mean, that's a profound statement, Brian, because if you think about the point of this podcast, which is to talk about the energy workforce of tomorrow and some subtitles would be how to attract, retain, motivate talent for companies in oil and gas. I mean, our listeners are executives and owners of companies and you know folks that work inside oil and gas companies. And they're all struggling to find talent. They're all looking for those unicorns and those diamonds that are hard to find. But what we're seeing here is not that you're not all unicorns and diamonds. Clearly you are, but maybe they're not where you're looking. And maybe you don't have to have such a rigorous gate just to find the people who've got the characteristics that really matter. And that seems to me to be a key here is the characteristics that really matter are the ones that are driving the success and the continuity and the culture of this team. I think one of the biggest things is that you can train if they have the right attitude, you can train them to do anything. I mean, if you think about like waiting tables or bartending, you don't start out knowing how to make drinks. You don't yeah. start out having that customer service experience, but what you're makes trained. a great customer <laughs> service person. What is it? There's something. I mean, it's obviously visible when somebody comes in and orders a coffee and can be so impressed by the way that you interact with them, Ellie. And your boss that they're like, wow, that's the person that I want. I mean, I would definitely say, like I said earlier, it's all in the way that you treat people and interact with them. We used to have a speakeasy at the hotel and Rachel asked me to show it to her. And I said, I'm not really supposed to do this, but you seem cool. And so (laughs) I took her to the speakeasy and she was amazed. She said, you know, you have been so helpful. And it's really just understanding what people need and what you can do to help them. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we value at least here, that's what I've learned so far is that we help because we want to. We see that there's a need for it. And that's what we're stepping in to do. And I would say that our bosses, 
they are amazing, absolutely amazing. I have come to this company and I have never been made to feel like a little worker. Mm. I feel as equal as everybody else. Mm. Ash is senior vice president, correct? Well, he's a big yeah. boy. Yeah, and I can tell you he's got a good role here. <laughs> absolutely. And he makes time. He's a very busy man, but he has never made me feel like he is too busy for me to ask questions. You know, he always calls me, sir. I don't know if it's because I look old or something or he's just that <laughs> polite, but every single time he calls me or we talk, he just says, thank you. And he says, sir, he's really an incredibly polite and kind person. He addresses everyone that way. Yeah. And yeah. he passes out his business card to every operator. And he says, you call me, this is my personal cell phone number. He has a quote in his office that's something along the lines of like, I'm going to butcher it. And he's going to listen back to this and be like, oh my God, you look at it every single day. But it's something along the lines of like leading an army, not out of fear, but like speaking to them in such a way that they want to do what you ask them to do. I quit because there was something that I thought that I wanted to do. And literally the first day I was like, not that it wasn't a great job, but I was like, I made a mistake. I don't like this enough. So you quit, you left and came back. Yep. Yeah. And she's because not the only one that did that. No. <laughs> so we have another guy on our team, Nick, who has worked here, quit, came back. Didn't he quit twice, maybe? Yeah, but I don't think it was specific to our idea but yeah, yeah and it's not because yeah they didn't want to work here it's just that ash especially ash will always tell us like hey if there's something else out there go look for it find it. it try it and if you don't like it you always have a place yeah. well i think in my experience the greatest leaders are about serving others right leadership right. is about service and i think the other great aspect of a leader is to never hold back your best performers, yeah. right? Yeah. To create the path they want to go. There's a famous saying that says, you should never try to keep your best. You should expect them to leave and support yeah. them in doing it. Because, I mean, if you keep people down. I mean, that's not helping them at all. Amazing. Wow. I mean, just super inspiring, amazing stuff. Where's Aredia going? How many people are you looking for? Are you still looking for people? Is the team growing? What's the mission? Any comment on where you're going? Funny, they always say we're not hiring, but then we they find they bring Ellie. Then Ellie showed up. I mean, and same thing with me, you know, like they told me they weren't hiring and they offered me the job. And I think it's really just one of those things that like for already, like they find the right people. But as far as like the actual mission itself, I think for right now, we're focusing on making sure that since we're a startup within an OV, we're getting them all connected and hooked up and making sure that they're profitable and then we'll go from there. Sounds like to me, I think you have a comment, Lauren, so hold that thought for a second, but it sounds to me like like Ash and, and Rachel are looking for the right puzzle pieces as opposed to hiring, which is really interesting. Go ahead, Lauren. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But what I was thinking is in the direction that we're going in manufacturing, at least, and with what Aredia is doing is more like towards smart manufacturing from a perspective of like the inside out. So it's really nice that we have the convenience of kind of practicing within NOV, all of these tools and stuff. So it's, I heard Ash earlier this week describe kind of what we're doing and working inside of NOV as like our own private workshop slash laboratory where we get to practice these things almost in a safe environment, but not so safe that it's <laughs> a hardcore simulation that's not realistic. Right. We still gain a lot of information in what we're doing. And so when we head in one direction, I think we have a little more velocity and it's something that I think is unique and beneficial, but we try to be careful, you know, not to 
go into a facility and just break a bunch of things and push people around and say, hey, can you take 30 minutes out of your day to punch all these numbers and add all this extra stuff to what you're doing? But I don't know. I think the goal is to optimize manufacturing in a way that helps the operator primarily, something that Rachel and Ash will say, but I hear Rachel mostly when she's walking around, you know, the shop floors and showing all the operators, you'll go do this, Ellie, if you haven't already. (laughs) She will always look me and tell me in the eyes, even though I've heard it before. I love it when she says it though. She's like, you know how and why we have jobs is because of these guys here. And she'll point to them and we go and we talk to them and they remember her and she remembers them. That was kind of one of my selling points for taking this job because I was applying not just within NOV, but other places. And I had actually turned down a couple of offers. And one of the things that really kind of sold me on working with them and making that transition from like working with my hands and blue collar into like the corporate and office kind of vibe, you know, is that they stressed how important it was that the blue collar people were the backbone of the company. You know, people on the shop floor, they know that. You know, because if they're not making the products, there's nothing to sell. That just really like kind of spoke to me because I've been in situations that it was just a very toxic work environment and we were treated very expendable. And of course, like the shop floor, usually always the first ones to get laid off when in the end, it ends up costing you more money when you do that. You know, in the meantime, like right now, yes, it's going to save you money as far as like wages and stuff like that. But in the long run. If you plan on continuing to do business, cutting out the shop floor, being the first ones to hand them out pink slips, you know, it's going to cost you a lot of money yeah. in the long run. Well, Jerry, you told me today we were going to talk to a really cool company, and it is a cool company, right? But what makes it cool, I think, is the people. Yeah, 100%. Really inspiring. We could probably talk for hours, right, about what you guys do. And I think it's very encouraging for our listeners out there trying to break into you know, new pathways in this industry to hear from all of y'all's background and know that you just need to want to do it, right? And there's somebody out there looking for that passion and that drive, right? 100%. And if your resume doesn't line up with descriptions, we'll get Stephanie how to check on this one so the gals to get the companies to update your job descriptions. But really, I think you've probably inspired a lot of people to say, you know what? I can do that job. I can be trained. I can make it work. I can make an impact. I can follow a mission. Absolutely. So, Thank you so much, all of you ladies, for joining us on the podcast and really grateful that we got the time and appreciate your contributions. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Brian. Cheers. This has been great. I want to do another one like this. So uh, please come back. Yeah, 100%. Listeners, thank you so much. As always, we're looking to adapt, improve, take your comments and get better. Let us know how you felt about this podcast and the others that you've hopefully listened to. And maybe this one will make you subscribe. So that'd be great. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, Erickson. And have a great day. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.